We're in the book of John this morning, John chapter number 20. John chapter number 20. When you get to John chapter number 20, if you would, please stand to your feet as we read our text this morning. John chapter number 20. John 20 and verse number 21, the Bible says, Then said Jesus to them again, Peace be unto you. As my Father hath sent me, even so send I you. Father, in Jesus' name, we come before you and ask your blessings upon this time that we have together. We ask that the Holy Spirit would indeed speak peace to our soul. We ask that you would challenge us today encourage us and strengthen us. We pray that if there be one in our midst today that has never known Jesus Christ as personal Savior, we pray that you would speak the peace of God to their heart, help them to realize their sinful need for a Savior, help them to see the love of God and that Jesus Christ is that Savior. And I pray that the Holy Spirit would just lead us and guide us this morning. We thank you for your presence already in the Sunday school class as well as in the song service. And we just pray now that you would bless in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. At the end of John 20, verse number 21, Jesus makes a very clear, concise statement. It's not complicated. And yet most of God's children somehow miss this commission that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us. He says, as my Father hath sent me, he says, so send I you. The message this morning is a question, and the question is this, are you equipped for your mission? Are you equipped for your mission? Jesus was not talking to any one particular person When he said, as my Father hath sent me, so send I you, he's talking to all of his disciples. And I can say on the authority of the Scripture that every one of us that are saved, the Lord Jesus has said the same thing to us. We have been sent out into this world in the same manner that God sent Jesus Christ. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God sent Jesus to a world that was lost in sin and darkness. Jesus came as the light of the world. God, Jesus came as the Lamb of God that taketh away the sin of the world. He came with a singular, excuse me, singular purpose And that was to accomplish the mission that His Heavenly Father had sent Him to this world to accomplish. Are you equipped for your mission? The Navy SEALs are considered the best equipped for most military missions. I know there are arguments among the different branches of service, and there's all kinds of special forces and so forth. You've got your Green Beret, your Recon, you've got uh, all of the various special forces. But for the most part, it's commonly accepted that the Navy SEALs are the best of the best. They're the best in their training. They're the best in their mental and physical conditioning. They are fabulous in the area of leadership and responsibility and teamwork. 
And I haven't even got to the point where we talk about their weaponry. Sometimes we think about being equipped for a mission or battle, and all we think about is the rifle or the grenades or the night vision or the body armor. But that's really the last of things. And that although the Navy SEALs would be equipped with the highest tech equipment available for battle, it is not just their equipment that makes them equipped for the battle, it is them as Navy SEALs, period. I read about a Navy SEAL commander who was given a challenge that when he heard the challenge, he cringed. He was fighting in Iraq and they were going on various missions and very successful missions. This Navy SEAL commander was given the task of joining his team with a team of Iraqi national soldiers. He already knew from experience that the Iraqi national soldiers were not very well equipped for battle. They didn't have very good rifles. They had, generally they'd have a Russian-made a rifle or an AK-47 that was kind of a Chinese-made knockoff. Uh, they didn't have even uniforms that matched, and oftentimes it was almost, it was impossible to tell the difference between an Iraqi uh, soldier and Al Qaeda or whatever enemy they were fighting in what any particular city. They lacked discipline. They lacked heart. Many of them didn't even really believe in the cause that they were fighting for, and they had divided loyalty. Some of them were left over from Saddam Hussein's army, and others were people who really down deep had a loyalty to a particular sect of their Islamic religion. And so you just didn't know what you were getting when you joined up with an Iraqi national soldier. Most of them were just doing it for a paycheck. No discipline divided loyalty, they didn't even look like a soldier, they had no teamwork, they had no discipline. And so this Navy SEAL commander thought, how am I going to even approach that? Now keep in mind that it wasn't that he didn't want to help, it wasn't that he, 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 he just knew that when you go into combat, You have to rely on your fellow soldier. What are we going to do with people when we are staking our life and the victory of this battle on people that aren't even remotely equipped for this conflict? I wonder how many of God's men and God's women today feel like that in their local church when we've been given a mission to go into battle. And some have made the sacrifice and the seriousness and put their heart into the the Lord's work and been a special forces and then we have to team up with people that really have divided loyalties and don't even really look like a soldier, don't act like a soldier, don't even know how to handle their weapon. Well, we need to be equipped for our mission, brothers and sisters. And our mission is quite simple. As the Lord sent Jesus Christ to this world, Jesus says, I'm sending you for the same purpose. In our text here, number one, I want to talk to you about being equipped with the peace of God. Look with me at verse number 19. Then 
the same day at even, being the first day of the week, when the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, what did he say? He said, peace be unto you. And then he goes on to say, verse 21, they said unto, uh, then said Jesus to them again, peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, so send I you. Are you equipped with the peace of God? Let's spend a little bit of time here this morning talking about the peace of God. The first thing that we need to know is that sin provides pleasure. But while it provides pleasure, it robs you of peace. Isaiah 57, verse number 20 But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. I know something about the life of the wicked, who thinks that the world has and all of its pleasures are the way to live. But I know something about that person. They have a hard time being alone with their own thoughts. Oh, it's fine when you're around your friends and your buddies and when you're uh, actively engaged in all of the trivial things of the world. And there are tons of distractions out there, folks. There's tons of amusement and entertainment and all kinds of things that you can do that are fun. You know, we live in a day and age where people live for fun. It used to be that people lived for work or they worked to live. Now we just kind of uh, have so much abundance that most of what we're really seeking for is fun. I like fun, don't you? But I think that it's safe to say that the average lifestyle in America today has more fun than we could ever even think that we would possibly need. If Jesus sent us into this world the way that His Heavenly Father sent Him into this world. I wonder why we spend so much time just having fun rather than accomplishing our mission. The wicked knows how to have fun, but they don't know how to have peace when there's no distraction or no amusement. You know, the Lord offers you a peace that is not circumstantial. You take a child of God who's walking with the Lord, he can be going through the worst of circumstance. He can be going through the loss of a loved one. He can be going through a financial crisis, a relational crisis, a health crisis, you name it. Someone who is walking with the Lord can be going through the worst of circumstances and have the most peace in their heart, whereas someone whose circumstances are quite favorable cannot even rest good at night because his conscience is just continually like that wave that's just troubled sea that's just foaming up and just continually bringing up the muck and the mire. I lived four, almost five years of my life, my teenage years through high school. I lived the life of the wicked. And I can assure you, while you may be living a wicked life, if your life hasn't become like this troubled ocean, it will eventually. The first couple of years that I lived out there in the world, the life of the wicked 
I didn't really pay that much attention to all of that trouble in my heart. Everything was new, it was fresh, it was exciting. I loved the world and I thought that the world loved me back. But eventually I found that all of those pleasures of sin were only for a season. And I found that they just continually hardened my heart and troubled my conscience. And the consequences of my sin began, as they say, the chickens began to come home to roost. I began to reap what I had sown, and I started realizing rather quickly that while I was in love with the world, the world wasn't in love with me. You'll eventually come to that place where you'd have to acknowledge that I may like my life the way that it is, but you have no peace. Because the only peace that can be provided comes from God Almighty. There's no peace, absolutely none, saith my God, to the wicked. And so that brings me to my next part of point number one, and that is this. Before we can have peace in our heart, first we must have peace with God. You cannot have the peace of God until you have peace with God. Romans chapter number five, verse number one declares plainly, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. This is a text that is telling us that we don't get peace with God by earning His favor. That is where that song that we sang just a few minutes ago comes into place. It talks about grace that is greater than our sin. That peace with God doesn't come by us earning and working and laboring to try to gain His favor so that then we can be at peace because we can never satisfy the demands of a holy God. We are so far from God. He is so righteous and He is so holy And we are so wicked and so sinful by nature. Listen, no one had to teach you how to sin. You might have got around some people that helped you master the art, but listen, the desire was already there. We are so far away from God, and our sins have put enmity between us and God. There is an there is a War, a spiritual war, so to speak. We are at odds. God says, be holy, for I am holy. Everything inside of us says, I can't, and I won't. That peace with God does not come by religious duties or religious works. It comes simply by the grace of God. It comes by faith, by believing and trusting what Jesus Christ did on the cross of Calvary as our substitute. It is by faith. And the world has a hard time with that concept. To just believe by faith, that just sounds too simple. I'd rather work my way and I'd rather earn it and deserve it so that I can be proud of myself. Listen, there is no one that gets to heaven that's going to have anything that they're going to be proud of. The only thing, if you make it to heaven, you're not going to be pointing at anything about you. You're going to be pointing at the cross of Calvary because that's the only thing that satisfies the demands of a holy God is the righteousness of Jesus Christ. So we can have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Colossians 1 verse number 20 says, "...having made peace through the blood of His cross by Him, Jesus speaking, to reconcile all things unto Himself. By Him I say, whether they be things in earth or things 
in heaven. So it is the blood of the cross of Jesus Christ that makes peace between the sinner and a holy God. Before you can have any peace in your heart, you first have to trust Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and resolve that enmity between your sinful carnal nature and a holy God. You've got to be changed. You've got to become a new creature. As Jesus told Nicodemus, ye must be born again. You've got to have peace with God before you'll ever experience the peace of God. Next, I'd like to say this, that peace is more than just simply the absence of a conflict. Have you ever gotten a spat with your spouse before? Don't raise your hand, please. You ever gotten in a fuss with anyone? You know, peace is more than just the absence of conflict. I know sometimes it seems like that you can't come to an understandable agreement. Neither side can really see it the way of the other side. And sometimes the best that you can do in a human relationship is just call a ceasefire. If you ever get frustrated in a human conflict, we need to acknowledge the fact that, hey, I'm not holy like God is, and neither is the person to whom I'm in conflict with. And so maybe, just maybe, I'm not seeing things the way that they ought to be. Maybe I'm just selfish. Maybe I'm biased. And so we're not going to be able to resolve this by an agreement, so let's just call a ceasefire. Sometimes that's the best that you can do in a human relationship. But when it comes to our relationship with God, there is something that we need to look at it. It's way more than just simply a ceasefire. It means peace, meaning we are putting ourselves on God's side. You know, repentance is not a very complicated religious concept. Repentance is just simply this, agreeing with God. God, you're right, and I'm wrong. It's hard to say sometimes. It's easy to say, God, you're right, but it's not always easy to say, I'm wrong, and mean it from the heart. When we say, God, you're right, I'm wrong, I'm taking your side against me, you know what you have there? You have a heart that is repentant, that is has a change of mind, a change in direction. Peace is more than simply the absence of conflict. It can mean calm and quietness. Calm and quietness. Some of you are high-strung individuals, and you wish that you could have some calm and some quietness. I know people, I don't certainly don't want to get into anything controversial, but I know there are people who have uh, whatever goes on in their heart or mind that they have to get some medical help in order to have some calm and quietness. And sometimes that certainly is necessary. But on a spiritual level, there are oftentimes there are things that are attributing to that turmoil or that anxiety, that lack of calmness in our heart. And sometimes it is a spiritual matter. Mark 4, verse number 39 talks about Jesus in the boat with the disciples. The wind is blowing, about to just sink the boat. And Jesus says, peace be still, and the wind ceased. There was a great calm. Some of you are getting ready to see the 
Sea of Galilee this coming fall. And you're going to enjoy the Sea of Galilee. It's a beautiful place. Jesus, at that moment in time with his disciples, he said, peace be still. And that's exactly what happened. Instantly, that storm was just calm. We had a little bit of storm at our house last night. A little bit of lightning, a little bit of rain. That lightning was very, very accurate. In fact, we were so blessed that we had a power outage last night. And the interesting thing about it is that when I called the power company to report it, they said that there was there was actually one customer affected by this outage. Now, I, we have a lot of power outages while we have, it's hard to figure out because we have neighbors and people across the street from us that aren't near as right as God as we are, and they never lose their power. So it's caused me to doubt God at times. But it's like, wow, we're the only one that got without power. And, I, you know, the power got turned on at, I don't know, 9.30, 10 o'clock last night. Supposed to be 3 a.m., but I couldn't figure out how they turned the power back on. I didn't see any trucks out there. How could I lose power at my house? There's obviously some things that I don't understand about that. Storms happen, don't they? The Sea of Galilee was in the midst of a storm. Jesus said, peace be still, and the storm ceased. Now, I haven't camped out at the Sea of Galilee for any extended period of time. I saw it for about an hour or two on one day of my life. But I'm pretty certain that since this year, this time when Jesus said, peace be still, I'm sure that there have been other storms that have happened on the Sea of Galilee and other ships that have been tossed to and fro perhaps maybe other ships that have sunk. You know, sometimes Jesus says, peace be still, and we have a calm. That doesn't mean that we're not going to go through another storm tomorrow. But it does tell us this, that Jesus can speak peace to our heart if we'll just stay close to Him. In the midst of the storm, sometimes Jesus doesn't take the storm away. Sometimes He doesn't calm the storm. Sometimes He calms the heart. And I'm so thankful for that. How many times have I seen the Lord put perfect peace in my heart when the circumstances outside of my control were unchanged? Even a single bit. Thank God for the presence and the peace of God. In John 14, verse number 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So peace is a calm and a quietness. Peace is also referred to as security. In Luke 11, verse number 21, Jesus said, When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. You know what that means? That means that there's security there. You know, God can give us and He does give us that security that our possessions, what we have, 
are safe and they are secure. Now, I'm not saying that somebody can't break into your house or steal something from you or break into your car, but you know, there are some things that are far more valuable than just simply our earthly possessions. How about our soul? How about our salvation? The Lord says, look, I give you peace. The strong man, the strong man would have to break in and steal that thing. And I got news for you. Jesus Christ is stronger than any strong man. And thank God when God gives us peace, He gives us security. When I think about peace, I also think about the Bible teaching regarding understanding. In 1 Corinthians 14, verse number 33, Paul is addressing an issue that is very controversial at the church in Corinth. It's still controversial today. He's addressing the issue of speaking in tongues and spiritual gifts. And the church at Corinth was taking something that God intended for good and they're using it for selfish pride and selfish service and kind of this caste system. Well, I've got the gift and what's wrong with you and doing all kinds of things that was just causing confusion. And Paul corrects those problems and he says, hey, this is what it is and this is what it isn't. And he gives them the understanding. In fact, Paul said this clearly. He said, I'd rather speak five words with understanding than 5,000 in an unknown tongue. Now, that's the Word of God right there, folks. So in reality, why would that ever become any major issue among people to begin with, regardless of what you believe about it? And Paul said this, For God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all churches of the saints. How many things cause conflict and take away the peace of God's people when we major on the minors, when we make something that is insignificant, something that's the most important thing. And boy, we make mountains out of molehills. Hey, you're looking at a preacher that I believe by conviction that I should preach the whole counsel of God. That's dear to my heart. That's important to me. That's something that I think about and I pray about. And man, that is as important in my ministry as anything that I do. But I also know that not everybody sees everything the same way. There comes time where we need to realize we need to be able to look at the Word of God and prioritize the things that God prioritizes. There are things that create division and create problems. And the Lord says, God's not the author of that confusion. He's the author of peace. You know, there's also a peace, not only as a result of understanding, but there's a peace that goes beyond our understanding. How about Philippians 4, verse number 7, where Paul says, And the peace of God which passeth all understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. What do I do when I can't figure something out? What do I do when I can't understand what God's doing? What do I do when I can't understand what God's requiring of me? Sometimes things happen and we, we start seeing ourselves like Job, where just thing after thing just keeps happening in our life and we think, God, what are you trying to tell me? What do you want from me, God? And God can give us a peace. Sometimes the only way that we'll feel secure is if we understand God. 
And there's a lot of things that God says, I'm not going to let you understand me. You're just going to have to trust me. And when we do that, when we trust Him, when we don't understand Him, He'll give us a peace that passeth all understanding. What a wonderful God that we have. A God of peace. And so, if we're going to be equipped for our mission, Jesus said, as my Father hath sent me, so send I you. We better be equipped with the peace of God because we are living in a world that's full of turmoil. We are living in a world that's full of trouble. We're living in a world that's full of enemies. We better be equipped with the peace of God. How can we go out into a world and tell them, you need what I have when emotionally we don't act any different than they do? You ever thought about that? I mean, we say that we've got God and that we trust God and that we believe in God. And we have the same stress, anxiety, worry, depression as all of the world out there. I'm not saying there's not times when we go through different problems and oppression. I'm not saying that. that those things happen and we struggle with that and we fight with that. We're in a battle. But you know what? By the grace of God, God wants us to rise up above that because we have a mission and we are soldiers and we don't have to be like the world. How are we going to show them something better if we don't act any better? Are you equipped for your mission? Secondly, I'd like to say that the Lord teaches us that we need to be equipped with the Holy Ghost. The Holy Ghost is not a phrase that we need to be afraid of or shy away from. The Holy Ghost is the person of Christ that is invisibly present in this world. If you're a believer, then you have the Holy Ghost. Not something that you gain or get uh, get later. He is a person. And look with me at verse number 22. When he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. Whosoever sins ye remit, they are remitted unto them. And whosoever sins ye retain, they are retained. Now, verse number 23 has been often confused and abused verse of Scripture. In fact, the Roman Catholic Church takes this verse of Scripture, they privately interpret it to say that you need to go to a priest at your church and confess your sins to that man in order to get forgiveness of your sins. There's only one, there's more than one problem, but a big problem with that, number one, that's not what this verse is teaching. Number two, another verse in Scripture Paul told Timothy, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. To teach that we go to a human priest in order to get forgiveness of our sins is an affront and an insult to the priesthood of Jesus Christ. Because that's the whole purpose that Jesus died on the cross, that through Him and Him alone, we can have access to God the Father. Jesus is our only access. We don't need any earthly priest. And so, while we don't have time here this morning to go into everything that this verse here is teaching, one thing we know is what it's not teaching, it's not saying 
that a human being has the power to forgive or to punish for sins. That's God and God alone. But I tell you what it is relevant to is the context at hand where Jesus said, as God sent me into this world, Jesus says, I'm sending you into this world as well. And He doesn't send us out there without the equipment and one of our major pieces of equipment and preparation to make a difference in this world is we better have the presence of the Holy Ghost in our lives. We can't do it on our own. No one's strong enough. No one's smart enough. No one has the ability to make a difference in this world aside from the Holy Spirit of God living inside of us. This is a sample, if you will, of Pentecost. This is not the institution of a religious system. This is Jesus simply giving them a sample. Have you ever been to a grocery store where they have a little kiosk at the end of the aisle and somebody's handing out samples? You can get just a little piece of whatever they're buying or whatever they're selling and you can taste it and then you can get the whole package and take it home and you can have it whenever you want it. Jesus breathing on them and saying, Receive ye the Holy Ghost is a sample of what was to come. You say, what is getting ready to come? I'm glad you asked. Turn a few pages to the right to Acts chapter number 1. Acts chapter number 1. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Ghost has been operating in conjunction with the saint with the believer. In the Old Testament, the Holy Ghost would come upon someone for a specific purpose, a prophet. The Holy Ghost would come upon a prophet. He would prophesy, but the Holy Spirit was not an abiding, continual presence in the Old Testament like He is in the New Testament. We've already preached out of the book of John, chapter 16, chapter 17, about the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, how that Jesus told His disciples that the Holy Ghost is now with you, but He shall be in you, and that He shall be an abiding presence. When David sinned against the Lord in his psalm of repentance, Psalm 51, he said, Take not thy Holy Spirit from me. David knew and understood that the presence of the Holy Spirit can come and go. As believers... We have that assurance and that security from the Lord. God said, I will never leave you or forsake you. The Holy Spirit comes in as a person and He abides with us forever. Praise the Lord. I'm so glad for that. You know, that is, that forever and that security, that's not, that certainly is not a license to live dirty. How many of you ladies, and you know somebody important's coming to your house, somebody important that you admire is going to come visit your house? I know what my wife's thinking. My wife's thinking, I gotta, I gotta clean the house. I gotta get my husband to remove all of the baseboard and we've got to clean behind it and reattach it and caulk it and paint it. There's, there's dirt behind that baseboard. Evil dirt. I love my wife. 
But but she takes that serious. This is this is her house. I mean, this is the house that she's a homemaker of. And it's important to her what people think, because what people think of her home is a reflection on her. Listen, if if you believe. And, and it is true, whether you believe it or not, if you're saved, the Holy Ghost lives inside of your house. This house is the temple of the Holy Ghost. And when we believe it, I'm not talking about believing it to pass a quiz. I'm talking about we, we are aware of the fact that right now the Holy Ghost is inside of my house. Then maybe I want my house to be clean for him. Maybe I want to make sure that it's presentable. It's not a license to sin because his promise to never leave. It's the fact that now I know that he's here and abiding forever. I got to keep my house clean. Not just on Sunday, but every day. And that's a blessing. But in Acts chapter number one, it says in verse number one, the former treatise, have I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and teach, until the day in which he was taken up, after that he through the Holy Ghost had given commandments unto the apostles whom he had chosen, to, to whom also he showed himself alive after his passion, by many infallible proofs, being seen of them forty days, and speaking of the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. Now, Luke is writing this about the time that we just read about. Jesus, after the resurrection, is showing himself to his disciples. He's declaring unto them, as my Father sent me, so I'm sending you. And then he goes on to say in verse 4, and being assembled together with them, commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait for the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. For John truly baptized with water, but ye shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. When they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, will at this, thou at this time restore again the kingdom to Israel? He said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power. Don't worry about what's coming in the future. Don't worry about dating the rapture. Don't worry about all of the things that are going on in the news media. Don't worry about what's going on with the government. But the Lord says in verse 8, But ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost has come upon you, and ye shall be witnesses unto me. That's a key phrase right there. Preacher, I witness. I hand out tracts. I tell people about Jesus, but nobody's getting saved. You know what? Just keep on doing it because we're not doing it unto the sinner. We're doing it unto the Savior. We're being a representative. If nobody ever accepts the message, keep preaching it. Keep shining the light. Keep showing the love of Christ. Keep pointing people to the cross. Why? Because we are being witnesses unto Him, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost part of the earth. Hey, that sounds to me like Jesus is just giving them some more details about the mission that He sent us on. That we need to be equipped with the Holy Ghost. Ephesians chapter number 2 and verse 16, And that He might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, 
having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you that were afar off, and to them that were nigh. That's the Gentile, that's the Jew. For through Him, through Jesus, we both have access by one Spirit unto the Father. Isn't it amazing how the Word of God just all fits together? How that it all explains itself? Our access to the Father is not through an earthly priest. It's through the Lord Jesus Christ and through Him we have that peace. And then finally, number three, if we're going to be equipped for our mission, we need to be equipped with the blessings of faith. Look with me back at John chapter number 20. John chapter number 20 and verse number 24. Here is a story that we've all heard about. It's a story about Thomas. We know him as Doubting Thomas. We read here in verse 24, But Thomas, one of the twelve, called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said unto him, We have seen the Lord. But he said unto them, Except I see in his hands the print of the nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and thrust my hand into his side, I will not believe. Thomas was from Missouri. Show me. Verse 26, And after eight days again his disciples were within, and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, stood in the midst and said, once again, he, isn't it amazing how he keeps saying this over and over and over again, Peace be unto you. Then saith he to Thomas, Reach hither thy finger and behold my hands. Reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, My Lord and my God. Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. Are you equipped with the blessing of faith? Thomas had to see it. Thomas had to be shown The Lord Jesus revealed Himself to Thomas because the Lord Jesus is very gracious and He's very kind and He's very patient. But He also made it clear to Thomas, you know what? You believed because you saw. I've got a special blessing for those that haven't seen and yet still believe My Word. It says in Acts chapter 14 and verse 27, And when they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how He had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. That door of faith is opened unto every one of us. How does that faith come? Well, I think about Thomas. Why did Thomas doubt? Why was Thomas not equipped to carry out the mission that Jesus Christ had given to all of us The same reason that many of you here this morning are not equipped with the faith in order to accomplish your mission because when Jesus showed up, He wasn't there. How often do we go to church and the message just doesn't seem to be relevant to me? Well, I'm not in that walk of life. That's not for me. I know it breaks my heart as a pastor when 
we have a guest speaker or if I bring a message that God has given to my heart and as a pastor who knows his flock, I know that there are people that needed that message and they weren't there. They weren't there. The Bible says quite clearly in Romans 10.17, so then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. What was Thomas's problem? Why did he doubt? Because he wasn't there when Jesus showed up the first time. How often we miss out on the Word of God that we needed at that moment. And you know what? The devil's going to make sure that you miss out. I think about our opening story about the Navy SEALs and how that compares compare them to the Iraqi nationals and one was well-equipped. Man, they're focused. You study the life of a Navy SEAL, and you know every single day of their life they are focused on their mission. If they don't have a mission that's been given to them, they spend at least some time every day doing some kind of physical conditioning to make sure that they stay in the best shape that they can be in. They're either running or they're swimming or they're taking big tractor tires and they're moving them all across the yard just end over end. They're doing whatever they can to keep their bodies in peak physical condition. And you know why that is? Because they don't want to let their buddy down. If they get a buddy that's shot that needs to be carried for 20 blocks, they want to make sure that their body is able to handle it. God's people take their training and take their church attendance. And, you know, here Thomas, I don't know what Thomas was doing. I don't know, maybe Thomas was at a ball game. Maybe Thomas was doing something that he thought was more important. How many of God's people are not equipped for the mission? Because they're like Thomas, they weren't there when Jesus showed up. And they had to get the message later. Faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. In conclusion, John 16, verse number 33 says, These things I have spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation. Your circumstances are not always going to be changed, but be of good cheer, Jesus said. I have overcome the world. Jesus says, I'll give you peace, even though in this world that you live in, you can expect tribulation. Romans 15, verse number 13, I want you to notice how all three of our points of being equipped for the mission, the peace of God, the Holy Ghost, and faith, notice how all of these are just wrapped up in one nice little package in Romans 15, 13, where Paul says, now the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope through the power of the Holy Ghost. What a wonderful Bible we have that explains to us the Christian life and the mission that God has given us to accomplish. There was an officer in the Navy SEALs who related a story how that after he had graduated from Navy SEAL basic training, I don't remember the acronym, it's B-U-D slash S, but it's the Navy SEAL basic training. And during that basic training, they have a particular week. You've perhaps heard of it. They call it Hell Week. 
Now, I know that it's not like the hell of the Bible. It's not even comparable to that. But I think they call it Hell Week for a reason. They put those Navy SEAL recruits through things that we cannot even imagine, both physical as well as mental. It is said that most people ring the bell three times. That's their tapping out. That's their way of saying, I can't take it. I want out. I don't want to do this anymore. Ninety percent of those don't do it because of physical conditioning. They do it because of the mental. I mean, they stretch them to their the ultimate level to try to weed out the inferior ones to make sure that they are getting the best of the best. Most of the people that make it through Navy SEAL training are not the ones that are in the best physical condition or have the biggest muscles. They're the ones that are the least selfish, that understand that it is by teamwork. They, they approach it with humility and they work as a team. Those are the ones that make it. The ones that come in that have all of the bravado and the macho and the braggadocious and all of those attitudes, they hardly ever make it through Navy SEAL training. This officer returned to Hell Week to help train future leaders. During Hell Week, the Navy SEAL recruits are divided up into different teams. And each one of those teams, they have to carry around this old-fashioned heavy life raft. I believe it weighs two or three hundred pounds. They're divided into teams and they, they'd have race after race after race where every team is competing against the other. Sometimes they have to drag that raft across sandy beaches. Sometimes they have to crawl. Sometimes they get out into the ocean and they have to swim holding the raft. Sometimes they have to get in the raft. Sometimes they have to carry it over their head. And race after race and drill after drill, they are put through physical and mental torture. This particular week, this former graduate, successful Navy SEAL officer was watching and observing that team number six was coming in dead last in every single race. Team number two, for the most part, would always finish first, second, or third, mostly first. After about 10 or 12 races, they got together with each group leader, and they talked to him. The leader of team number six was just talking about how that the team that was picked for him, that they couldn't cut it, they were inferior, they couldn't make it. He's complaining. He felt like that he got handed a crummy deal, and because of his team, he's forced to have the ridicule he never want, if you want to race, you get a few minutes of relaxation. The other teams didn't get that. And so he was complaining, blaming. This Navy SEAL officer said, let's try something. So he took the team leader of team two and swapped with the team leader of team six. Same team, different leader. The very next race, guess who finished first? Team six. You know what the difference was? The difference was leadership. 
One leader didn't blame. He didn't browbeat. He encouraged. And he just got his team to just stay focused on one single attainable goal at a time. He didn't say, look at the finish line. He said, just look at what's in front of us. Just make it to there. And when they made it to there, he said, come on, we can go a little bit further. We can go a little bit further. And you know what he did? He equipped that team to win. The other, what did he do? Excuse. Blame. It's not my fault. It's somebody else's fault. I think that the same problem exists in many believers today. So I ask you a question. Not only are you equipped for your mission, what leader are you following? There's an old man inside of us that just offers excuses. There's an old man inside of us that just blames somebody else for our failure, our unwillingness to suffer, to sacrifice, to be faithful. There's an old man inside of us that just wants comfort, wants praise, but doesn't want sacrifice. But there's a new man, there's a Holy Spirit that says, you know what you need? You need the peace of God in the midst of your trouble. There's the Spirit of God that says, you know what? You need me as your abiding presence. And there's the Spirit of God saying, you just need to trust me and you keep going. You got to keep going on. I can't do it, Lord. I can't do it, Lord. And the Holy Spirit says, one more step. One more step. I'll get you through it. Just one step at a time. Are you trained? Are you equipped for your mission? Jesus said, as my Father has sent me, so send I you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank You, Lord, for the Word of God. I thank You for the equipment that You have given us, the peace of God, the Holy Ghost, and the faith that we can get in the Word of God to just believe it and to just trust it. I pray, Father, that we'd quit being like Thomas, that we'd quit doubting You, because we didn't hear from You, because we weren't there when we should have been there. I pray that You'd help us to take this mission seriously. It's not a mission, Lord, that a pastor is giving to a church. It's a mission that our Savior is giving to us as Your children. And I pray that You'd help us to take it serious. I pray, Father, that we would be good soldiers, endure that hardness, and to receive the peace that You have given us. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a hymnal. Stand to our feet. Invitation song is number 277. This altar is open. If you've got a need, you need to get serious about the mission that Jesus has given to you. He has sent you. He has a mission for each and every one of us to accomplish. It's our responsibility to be equipped for that mission, to be faithful to take it serious. Our whole life, everything in our life should revolve around the mission that He has sent us to do. How can we help a lost and dying world around us if we look like a bunch of Iraqi nationals instead of like God's special forces?
God spoke to your heart this morning, you ought to come down to this altar and say, God, I'm ready to get serious about your mission, and I want to start serving you. As we sing, the altar is open.